Good morning. I am Jeremy Pleasant. I'm the senior pastor. Really glad you're here with us this morning on Generation Sunday. You know, as Mason talked about, Generation Sunday is something we do uh, four times a year on the fifth Sunday as we uh, continue to, to, to worship together as a family. And one of the reasons why we do that, and we want all of uh, our kids in the service with us, is to remind us uh, and, and our kids that we're actually one family. And so we kind of combine the services and have both kind of our, our normal service and our kids' service in one. You know, um, in his time on earth, Jesus really elevated the status of children in society and uh, really showed us how important they are. And so, uh, so yeah, just really excited to have, to, uh, to be able to do Generation Sunday as, as often as we can. Um, so, it was really confusing this morning when it was 40 degrees. <laughs> was anybody else confused when it was 81 degrees yesterday? <laughs> and you're like, um, what's happening? And so last week, we, uh, I, was in, I was in Los Angeles working on a Vineyard Missions project. And um, it was the weekend of the California bloom. And so it's, it's the time of year when just all the green just blooms in California, and it is just gorgeous. It's just lush and, and, and beautiful. Every mountain is covered in green, kind of the poppies blooming. It's just one of the most amazing things to see. And people from all over Southern California actually drive up to, uh, to outside of L.A. to go see it. And so, I mean, they drive for hours. It's only like 30 miles, but they drive for hours because it's uh, L.A., um, and so, and it was just, it's amazing, and it's just, it's just such a great reminder of just God's lavish love and his creation, and just, you really get to see the heart and face of God as you see that, even if it's only for a couple of weeks, because then it all dies, because California is mostly desert, and so, but for that moment, <laughs> you get to see something awesome, and so, uh, it was really fun to see that last week um, as, as I was working there, but I'm um, glad we're back this week. Glad it's Generation Sunday. You'll get adjusted to all the talking. It's just, it's a part of it. It's fun. So we're going to dive in right here in just a second, but um, I wanted to just kind of reiterate a couple things before that, that Dan talked about before we get going. Um, this Saturday is our adopter school our monthly adopter school outreach, and so I really want to encourage you to, uh, to come and do this. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, it's, it's really some, some good work we're able to do, and I'm, I'm really excited about our partnership with, with Laurel Oaks and, and with the school we're working with and, and kind of where it's going in the future. Um, we just have a really big opportunity to have um, a relationship and an impact in this community in, in Baton Rouge. And so um, I just really want to encourage you to come out for this, uh, for this outreach. And then, you know, Picking back on what Taylor was talking about, Springfest is our biggest outreach of the year uh, for our immediate community, and, and one of the biggest things we do just to like reach out and just show the love of God to, to, to those around us uh, in the best way we can. And so, uh, yeah, these next two weeks are really big for us to really be, be reaching out, to be looking outward, and, and to be, yeah, the hands and feet of Jesus uh, to, our, to our community. Cool? All right. So... Oh, wow, they all stopped right at that moment. That's, that's, that's the new sign. We're going to try that. We're going to try that. So we've been in this series on communion, wanting to rediscover the power 
and passion of, of the table. And we've been talking a lot about how, you know, with these elements, with this, what this tradition not only means, but how we can experience God in the middle of it. And so if you've missed any of them, I want to encourage you to check them out online. Uh, last week's isn't there yet, but the next two weeks will be up um, this week. And, and so I just, I really want to encourage you to check that out. They're all kind of connected and, and you can really, what I hope is be able to take a lot of this and be able to apply it. Um, one thing I said is that we really want to engage in three ways, in understanding and application and experience. And so as, as we learn about this from like and get a, a, an entire biblical perspective, uh, we, we, we apply it in our everyday life. And as we take the bread and, and the wine, or in this case, juice, we actually have um, a real life experience with God. Because it's not just about knowing about him or knowing about scripture, but actually encountering just, yeah, just the, the one who, who made it all. And so uh, we're going to continue with that. We got, we got a couple more weeks of it. And so um, as, as we get into this, you're like, hey, I know someone who, who might actually like this or could, could really benefit from this. I want to encourage you to invite them. And, and, uh, and yeah, and, and uh, so yeah, let's, let's dive in. Today we're going to look at manna and how that's connected to communion, but also how it impacts our lives today. So if you don't know what manna is, we're going we're gonna to explain what that is. If you do know what manna is, uh, we're, we're going to see why that matters and, and its relation to communion. We're also going to talk about Thanksgiving, not the holiday, but the actual act of Thanksgiving, which is an important part of the communion process and how that orientation towards Thanksgiving affects our character and our output on a day-to-day basis. I'm going to share a story. We're going to look at a few scriptures, and then we're going to tie it together as we take communion at the end today. Okay? We good with that? All right. Let's look at Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I kind of half expected everyone to kind of start saying along with me, you know, at the same time. Because it's like it's one of the most quoted passages in scripture, right? Like it's, it's one of the, the biggest liturgies in, around the church. And it was dubbed the Lord's Prayer in the 16th century. And as Jesus teaches the disciples here how to pray, many things stick out, but there's one that we're going to focus on. Give us today our daily bread. It's an interesting phrase and one that actually ties the story in Exodus that we've been talking about. It takes that story, it takes the story of Jesus, and it takes our own story and ties it all together. And so we're going to look at how this one phrase ties together thousands of years of history and what that looks like today. So the thing is, that particular phrase, give us today our daily bread, there's actually more than we can really tell at face value. And so if, if anyone here is bilingual, then you know that even in similar languages, there are just words that just don't translate. No matter how many ways you try to say it, like there's just words that, that just don't translate 
to, to, to whatever language you're translating to. This is one of those phrases. Um, it's actually daily bread. That, that part of the phrase is actually a new word at this time when it was written. So in the Greek literature, this word hadn't existed yet. The first time we see it is in the New Testament. Now, it exists afterwards, but it hadn't actually existed before this. And so this particular word um, is actually saying a lot. And I don't want to unpack the specifics about it right now. We can actually do that another time if, if you're really interested. I'd love to, to talk to you about that. It's actually really fun. But what I want to focus on right now is the general message that Jesus is showing us and how to pray. This phrase that Jesus says is actually a hint. And it's something that like the disciples would have heard. It's actually a hint to the Exodus story. And so we talked a little bit about the Exodus story. And so we're going to move forward to a later part of the story. At this point, they were freed from slavery. They leave. Pharaoh's like, wait a minute. I didn't mean to do that. (laughs) And comes after and chases them. And then they get to the Red Sea. They're stuck. A ridiculous miracle happens, and God moves the waters. They go through and they escape. And then they end up in the desert and the wilderness. They're free, but there's no food, there's no water, and they start grumbling. They start grumbling to the point of saying, it was better when we were slaves. It's like, are you serious? I mean, it's like, did you just not see what just happened? Like, the water moved out of the way. <laughs> How do we forget this? Like, it actually reminded me of like, this episode of The Fresh Prince I saw. Like, and like, it's an episode I've seen a lot of times because I watch The Fresh Prince a lot. Um, but it was just like, it was this episode when, so like, The Fresh Prince is from Philly where there are no earthquakes. And so he's in California and there's an earthquake. And it's like, he's freaking out and he's like, the ground moved. The ground's not supposed to move. Why did the ground move, right? It's like, it's this ridiculous thing. The water moved out of the way. The water's not supposed to do that. The water's not supposed to like move so that you can walk through it. But the water moved, and yet they still just like forgot about it and are complaining that they have no food and no water and they're stuck in the desert. It's quite fascinating. And so in that, God says, okay, okay. And he said he's going to provide, and he sends food from heaven. And it's this supernatural food. And we know that because it's, again, another ridiculous miracle that takes place. And they don't know what to call it because it's the substance that just doesn't, they're like, what is this? <laughs> and so they call it manna. And so that's where the phrase manna comes from. And so this, what's interesting about this food is that it sustains them in the desert. And this story is told over and over again for centuries, for millennia. Exodus 16.35, the Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. That means for 40 years, this substance, whatever it was, actually sustained them. Like, that's a long time. Like, it it clearly wasn't just simply bread, right? You can't eat bread for 40 years and stay alive. Like, it doesn't work. I like bread. I tried it. doesn't work. You have to eat other things. So there's obviously something in this 
that sustained them because it was from God. And so we talk a lot about the kingdom, right? That the, the, the new heaven and the new earth that, that we see that, that God promises where there's no more pain, where there's no more crying, where there's no more tears, where everything is whole and just and complete is actually available now. That we don't have to wait for it, that we get to experience it now in our lives, in our communities, in our families. And that's what Jesus did. He actually brought that reality and made it our reality in the present. So every time he healed someone, every time he reconciled someone, that was the kingdom that was then happening now, right? And so I want us to see something. Israel was enslaved, and then they were free, right? But they weren't actually in the land that God promised them yet. This, this particular land was, was a rich land, where they were going to be satisfied and full, and it was large enough for everyone. They weren't actually there yet. So they were stuck in this in-between period. And this, in this in-between period, God sustained them with this manna. And in the same way, we were in chains. And we have been made free. But we're still not at the place yet where God has promised we're going to be. We're in this in-between period, in this tension. And in the same way, he has provided us manna that will sustain us for our entire lives. And so when he says our daily bread, give us today our daily bread, this is the sustenance he's talking about. That's not just physical, but fills our every need. And so I think this prayer that he's talking about is talking about our, our physical needs, but it's also talking about all of our needs. Uh, N.T. Wright, in, in talking about the daily bread and communion, he says this, but the Eucharist, that is communion, is also the place above all where we can come with our own physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual needs and laid them before God to whom all desires are known. The drama of what we do here in communion, coming with empty hands to receive bread, that is God's bread, the bread of life, the bread of tomorrow, manna, which is Jesus Christ himself, this drama draws together in a deep and rich symbol the whole action by which we bring our muddled and jumbled selves into the light and love of God. This prayer is about our entire being, and it should direct us in two ways. First, as we take communion, we have to understand and internalize that the very life of Jesus is being put into us and works throughout us, and we can experience heaven in our hearts, and that can change our lives. It should also remind us that this prayer should not be just for ourselves, and just as we come with our own incompleteness, so we should be praying for others in their brokenness and incompleteness as well. That as we pray for our sustenance and our needs, it should awaken us to, to the needs of those around us. That is to remind us that those are, there, there are people around us who are hurting and are broken, and God's love is for them too. And he calls us to walk with them, to pray that same prayer with them so that his light and love can be present and active in their lives. The second thing 
that should happen is that it brings us to a place of thanksgiving. You know, it's easy to look at the Hebrews at like after this, this Red Sea miracle and then soon after the complaining and grumbling. And it's like, it's easy to laugh at that, right? But I would venture, we don't do much different that often. I would say that often we can look, no matter what's happening, we still can get to that same place. See, but if we take on a posture of thanksgiving, that impacts our outlook. It changes what's going on inside of us and sustains us in the midst of difficulty. It produces joy and more faith so that we can endure. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not dismissing or minimizing any struggle that you may be in right now. It's not like when people say, oh, just be grateful, right? No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. That's not helpful to anyone <laughs> when we say that. But when we take on this posture of thanksgiving, it changes things. In Psalm 116, it talks about a sacrifice of thanks. Like it's, I'm offering this up. Like I'm taking a concerted and directed action to be thankful. To be thankful for what, I, what, what has already been done in my life. To be thankful for what I have, but also thankful for what I know what God is going to do. Thankful that I know that he's going to break in and, and I know that he's always going to be there. As we combine this understanding of the daily bread, the manna, and the experience of life of Jesus in us, that strength and that endurance and that character, and we combine that with the heart of thanksgiving, it leads to joy, but also to action. That action isn't trying to force someone to believe what you believe or have a certain encounter. That action is an unrelenting love and compassion towards others that is grateful for every moment. It pulls us out of ourselves. It pulls us out of our anxieties. It pulls us out of our needs. And we find fulfillment in those things, and we're able to share that fulfillment with others. Thanksgiving positions us to do that, and the manna equips us to do that. Okay, let's look at a practical tip before full nap time meltdown happens. I told you I could do a 15-minute serving. It's possible. I can limit myself. All right. Approach each day with thanksgiving. And I want you to commit to this because this is the thing. Like, you're like, yeah, I can do that. And then, like, Monday happens, right? <laughs> and then, like, Monday happens. And it's just, like, all gone, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, like, no, actually just seven days. Like, make it a sacrifice. Like, sacrifice Thanksgiving. And, like, actually commit to it. And look, what that means, that doesn't mean ignoring the bad. It doesn't mean hyping the good. Yes, Melody, you are correct. That's exactly it. It means being real about what's going on. Being real about what's going on. But also being thankful. Oh, she's coming in. It's okay, let it go. She wants to be free, like the Israelites. <laughs> and so we want to choose thankfulness in every situation. And so I want you to look at the previous day with that attitude. Like, look back on your day and look for the moments where you can be thankful. 
look at each event and each encounter and each conversation. Look at the bad, look at the good, and then find the places to be thankful. And as you take communion this week and next, see how it impacts your life with this understanding of manna and this posture of thanksgiving. Seven days. Just try it. And let's see what happens. All right, let's stand. We're going to take communion right now as we kind of worship for these next couple songs. And one thing, one thing I'm excited about about this Generation Sunday is that we can do communion as kind of like as a Passover and just do it as a family, you know. And so th- there's a really great opportunity for that. And you can take communion alone, but if, 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 you're, if you're able and you're willing, I would encourage you to take communion with someone within our community. It's, it's, it's really important to do it together. And I also want to say this. Wherever you, are, wherever you are in your faith, if there's something in you right now that is compelling you or drawing you to the table, I want you to know that the table is open for you. That you can come and take communion with this family because you're welcome. And if you have that, that sense, I think that God wants to meet you there. So let's, uh, let's worship, and we have plenty of time. I don't want you to, to, to have to rush through it. I don't want you to ritualize it, but actually take in the bread of life and look at the face of God as we do it this morning.